Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. So I've got Amy on the line. Amy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Well, I have a question about what um, healthy sexuality looks like when Mm. a sex addict is in recovery. One of the things we know about research and sex addicts is that they don't necessarily want sex with their own wife. And so to me, that says he's in really good recovery because he does want that with you. He has been two years sober. He has been in three facilities. And I suspect that's how he's wanting closeness with you. Hi there. I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets. And I got to tell you, I really, really, really admire the fact that you are listening to podcasts and getting strong and trying to figure it all out. No matter whether you're a day into it, a week, a month, a year, or even five years. You know, everybody goes through different stages. And when I was a coach, when I was in training to be a coach, many of you know I'm Carol the Coach, and a.k.a. Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and I do this for AppSats. And we're an organization that um, promotes clinical intervention and coaching intervention. So when I was a coach, um, I was told that you could not work with mental health issues. People pretty much had to have their stuff together. Being Even if they were in stressful situations, they had to figure out how not to let it get to them. And then you could help them or take them and their lives to the next level. Well, that is not what coaching is anymore. You know, APSAT certifies clinicians who are experts in mental health and coaches who are experts in partner betrayal. And they have resources and tools that can help stabilize you, help you to grieve and mourn, store your sense of self. And no matter where you are on your journey, If you're not there already, there will be a day that the old coaching rule would apply, that you will be in a place where you're ready to get back in the saddle and help other people and feel good about yourself. And I I really appreciate that because truly it is so important when you've been through this kind of event, that eventually you take back your power and you say, I am no longer going to let partner betrayal define me. And I'm going to start and redirecting my life, my life on myself and my purpose and my passion. Right? And when you do that, you are better able to detach. Detach from the pain 
the anxiety, the depression, the anger, and the grief that occurs when you've been betrayed. I am writing an article right now, and it's specifically for partners. And I know that if you're trying to feel safe, you can't imagine what it will be like to move forward in your life and start refocusing on you because you're just trying to figure out what happened to you and what you're going to do about it. But I want to give you some hope that once you're out of the confusion and the disbelief and the sadness of what's happened in your life and you work through that, because we all have to work through our pain and our painful situations, you'll have an opportunity then to really look at your life and say, okay, what am I going to do that's going to take me to the next level? And hopefully that can occur at least by year two or three, a partner betrayal. Maybe some of you will be at that place six months after discovery. But we do know that just like sex addiction, partner betrayal is a brain issue. And it takes a certain amount of time for your brain to heal, to recover, to get strong again. And we know that not only is it a brain issue, but it's a a physical issue. You know, your body can tend to shut down. Your digestive system slows down. Um, Your saliva may not be working. I mean, literally, these basic bodily functions, like the need to sleep, get interrupted, or, again, some people cope by wanting to sleep all the time. So once you get your brain back online and physically feel better, you may want to you may actually want to find some time to just sit and contemplate where your life is going next. So a lot of partners ask me, Carol, how do I put the past behind me long enough to focus? on myself because I have these racing thoughts, these ruminating thoughts, and, and I don't seem to be able to control them. They seem to be able to control me. And in those kind of situations, I promise you, you have to participate in activities that slow the mind and the body down. And one of the ways to do that is mindfulness. Another way to do it is yoga. Believe it or not, journaling really works. I had a partner today who who, we were doing a couple sessions, and she said, I had some real realizations after you assigned me the homework to start journaling. And in her journal, and she goes, Ann, I'm going to call him Tom, and I've even read them to Tom. I wanted him to see what I'm thinking and feeling. And so I said, oh, would you read them to me? And she said, well, I just happen to have my journal right here. 
So she opened it up, and um, what she basically said was, hey, I am doing a lot of work. I'm reading, I'm podcasting, I'm journaling, I'm going to groups, I've got my own therapist. I am working my butt off to understand all this. And then she said, which I thought was admirable of her, she said, and I am working on how to be a good partner to you because I want to punch you, I want to spit on you, I want to scream at you, I want to cuss at you, I want to cry with you. She basically said, I'm running the gamut of all my emotions. And yet here's the admirable part. She said, but what I know is I want a relationship with you. I want this to work. And I'm busting my butt to get healthy enough in the right way. So here comes the clincher, right? She says, but what I know to be true is that I don't see you working. I don't believe that you're doing what you should be doing to help me. And I don't see you reading. I haven't seen you pick up a book in a month. And you miss more meetings than you make. And you stopped working with Carol individually. And she just listed observations were. And then she said what I thought was so wise. She said, basically, I have to decide what am I going to do. I'm at a juncture in the road. And if I don't see you work, then as much as I love you, she has been with him since she was 14, I am out of here because I deserve more. Feel about that. Now, she really is at a place where she said to me, Carol, I want, I want to focus on me. I want to dream big again. I want to be excited about my life, what I'm doing. And I said, yeah, I want you to do that too. So this article really spoke to her. I'm still in the process of writing it, but I said, you know, They say that when you're contemplating changing your life, that you have to wish for something. Now, we say in coaching, don't just wish. It isn't going to happen. You've got to do more than that. But when you're going to set an intention, it starts with a wish. And then from the wish, it turns into a desire. You wish for your purpose. And you create a desire for the goal. So it's not unusual for women, let alone partners, to set goals, not own them. So it's time for you to own your desire so that you can, if you will, look at setting an intention that creates energy to make it happen. And when you do that, you proceed with passion. 
you wrestle up all the good energy you can and you have fun with whatever your goal is. That's the important part. Now, I'm not saying that you can't go, oh, I need to write another chapter in the book. Or, oh, I've got to get out there and do my fitness because I said I was going to lose four pounds this month. Or, oh, i got to clean that closet because I can only think about that closet. I can't think of anything else. But you want to have fun with it. I mean, I plan some new plantings, and it takes about 40 minutes every night. So what do I do? I listen to my iPod. You know, I want to be inspired and motivated. So I'm going to ask you, what do you wish for? What do you desire? Intention may you accept? And how can you add more passion to that desire? And that is coaching. That is taking your life to that next level. And if you've just discovered the the addictions, don't beat yourself up that you're not in that place. But as you're grieving and mourning and being angry about what's happened to you, it's okay to have one foot in post-traumatic growth because it's important to focus on you and to find that passion again. So now, let's talk about partners and let's talk about sex addiction and let's talk about a subject we don't talk enough about. And that is, Adult children of sex addicts. You know, haven't you wondered how your children may have been affected by what's happened in your household? And if you're a bit older, aren't you wondering as they become teenagers and they go off to college and they begin to have their own families, how they might be affected by mom or dad's sex addiction? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I am so happy to have Jessica Edens on, who again is our kid expert, although today we're talking about adult children. And she's going to be talking about what she has seen in the life of adult children who have lived with a parent who's a sex addict. So Jess, welcome to Partner with Betrayal Radio. Hello, Carol. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited about this topic because you and I both know that there just isn't enough research or writing on kids in general, let alone adult children. Um, And you have some specific beliefs about how adult children of sex addicts often suffer from that maladaptive attachment. So, Tell me a little bit about, if you would, um, how sex addiction or even problematic sexual behavior impacts a family system. Yeah, it's a complex area, to say the least, and you're absolutely right that there really isn't a lot of research or resources for families. And so a lot of what I talk about is my firsthand experience working with families um, from age two to 45-year-olds 
um, kind of reconciling and understanding what role either problematic sexual behavior or sex addiction has had on their life. And so a lot of what I just talk about is just exactly that from firsthand experience. And so I hope that the listeners out there can connect with maybe one or two things that I talk about. But um, that's one thing that I love is just hearing from the greater population about their own experiences. So if I just kind of want to plug it at the beginning, but if there is something that resonates with the listener or um, something that frustrates you or really touches you in some way, I would love to hear from you because that is the only way that we are really going to further the field is kind of connecting and telling our stories and owning them and sharing the impact. So we'll talk about my contact information at the end, but I just want to put that out there because I think too, before we get too deep into this, Carol, is so many of our partners are adult children of sex addiction themselves. And they didn't know until they're going through it and experiencing it on the other side. And that's what's so hard is if they had known or if there had been more resources out there, it might not have ended the same way. And so really going back to the beginning of the question, it it impacts the family system in so many unconscious ways and that is what's so hard it's it's not something like domestic violence where there's hitting and and all of the kind of abuse and trauma is physical and on the outside a lot of what sex addiction is is gaslighting is secrets is um, intimacy anorexia there's so many underlining currents throughout the family system that it can be so difficult to identify what actually has gone on. And so understanding, first of all, that each family is different. It might show up very different for for one family than it does another. And so a lot of what I talk about is my view of sex addiction kind of coming out of this two-pronged theory. One is emotional dysregulation, not being able to have the skills to um, deal appropriately with feelings or, or feel them and it be okay. And then the other part is kind of this idea of attachment injuries or not having a consistent caregiver or having strong, intimate relationships with that caregiver. And so that's one of the biggest kind of repercussions that I see from sex addiction being present in families is this difficulty in establishing intimacy outside of that family of origin. And so when we're talking about these kids growing up, going in their teen years, going off to college, or even getting married, choosing a life partner, I often see that they struggle to really establish those deep-rooted kind of relational bonding that we all, not we all, but that most people seem to achieve early on or it comes a little bit earlier. And so that's one of the things 
one of the bigger things I think for adults that they really kind of stop and think of, oh my gosh, what what did I learn? What was going on with my parents? Um, and oftentimes you don't know. Kids aren't privy to what goes on in those intimate partner relationships. And so they're left to kind of figure it out for themselves um, and fill in the blanks with whatever whatever they might assume. Um, and then I think the other thing that we really don't talk about a lot is this idea of addiction and the genetic component to it, that sex addiction may not be the only addiction present in the family system. And a lot of times um, alcoholism is a lot easier and I think a lot well, I guess a lot easier is the right word to kind of advertise that. There's not as much shame around alcoholism anymore as there is around sex addiction. And so, again, a lot of times sex addiction flies under the radar and the alcoholism is the primary addiction that's out there. And so not understanding and not knowing kind of what your parents have gone through or not sharing with your children the struggles um, that you're facing can make it really difficult for them to create a real reality that makes sense for them. Um, yeah, that absolutely you, does. But can I ask you, because, you know, obviously you're getting ready to talk about cross-addiction, and we know that sex addicts can have multiple addictions that keep them from really focusing on their family and their kids. And as a result, that attachment rupture continues. And so how does that show up in adult children? What would our listeners want to notice about the males and female adult kids and whether they have attachment issues? What would they look for? Absolutely. So a lot of times I call something, I, I've made it up, but I've called this idea the, the Barbie castle idea. And so a lot of times, and I'll just gender stereotype, but a lot of the dads are the ones with the problematic sexual behavior or sex addiction. And so part of the sex addiction process is kind of those narcissistic traits and those shiny personality characteristics. And so when children are exposed to that early on, part of their romantic template is created from their dads. And so you might see kind of your teens or your young adults like really looking for um, superficial kind of success um, and not the, the deeper intimate relationships. And so you also might see that your children will struggle establishing deep friendships. They might not have very many people. Um, It's really popular now just to have friends on the internet and not to see people in real life, but just to have kind of these arm's length relationships. And so that's kind of a red flag where it's not conclusive or anything, but as kind of if a partner's listening and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, my, my kids don't have a ton of intimate relationships. 
um, that's something to really look at because you want to see and you want to understand what they're taking in. And so talking about their significant other, if they're dating, um, what do you like about them? What's hard? How do you feel when you're in a relationship? Really talking to them about their experience in relationships because that's where you start to nurture kind of this idea of intimacy instead of just, oh, I have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend and it's this superficial kind of checkbox. Um, That's really what you want to look for is are they connecting? Do they have those deep relationships? Because those attachment injuries and those attachment ruptures early on, and what I mean by that, I'll dig a little bit deeper, is oftentimes these guys have, again, like Carol said, multiple addictions. There's a lot going on. And so their their level of intimacy with themselves, their self-knowledge, their self-confidence, their self-efficacy, is very low. They don't know themselves. Therefore, it's hard to have real deep relationships. And we don't talk a lot about the need for parental intimacy with children. Now, what I mean by that, that can be kind of a triggering word. What I mean by that is living authentically and transparently with your children, showing them kind of your emotional life and your emotional regulation skills while being true to yourself and feeling confident in that. And these guys just don't have that skill, and that makes it very difficult to establish deep relationships. And so there can oftentimes feel like a missing piece with children. So oftentimes in families or sex addictions present, you'll see like superficial um, perfectionism with children. You'll see the superstar sports kids or the straight A's. Like they'll have some achievement-based, self-confidence-boosting activities that they'll kind of hitch on to because that's one way that dad will connect with me. That's one way that I'll get the pat on the back. And so these kids grow up into young adults, driven, 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 and they're constantly seeking that acknowledgement, that praise from their dad. And dads, unless they're in recovery and work in a good program, they're really not going to get it, and they're not going to be able to give that intimacy that these kids are craving. And so it's just constant attachment injuries and ruptures in a really confusing way because – I'm talking about it like this is all conscious and we understand what we're doing, but we don't. Kids don't understand why they strive to get A's and why they are so excited to come home and like share those things or why it's important that dads at every baseball game or practice. Um, So these are kind of those small little building blocks that in the moment don't seem like that big of a deal, but looking systemically and looking at kind of the years, like kids are in your house and growing up, these things are cumulative and they are things that will um, affect your children kind of moving forward. So there's little baby steps that are so important, but watching and seeing. And, And the great thing about it is 
once you acknowledge it, once you see what's going on, you can make efforts towards creating a different narrative of how to breed connection. And so if you're a partner and you're like, yeah, my husband is not in recovery or he's having a hard time and not connecting with the kids, this is where, depending on what's healthy for you and what your boundaries are, you can help coach him. You can help kind of facilitate more intimate uh, times or more intimate activities, meaning why don't you guys go for ice cream just because there's no achievement base to it. Um, You're just encouraging quality time where they can be together and there's no performative action. Um, So that's just like one little, little tiny thing that you can do, but I think it's important that you really look and see how is my child relating to my husband or how is my husband relating to my child And is there a performance aspect that we need to address or that we need to talk about? I think that's one of the core things that you can do when you have younger kids. And it changes when it's older, but that's kind of an intervention that can be done early and often that will really help in the long run. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I can really appreciate that you gave partners permission to Um, kind of coach them into how to do that because so many partners know that they are that support person that helps um, teach teach a dad how to talk with his son. I I was working with a couple this morning. I was actually working with the whole family, and the dad got so upset um, because the son was so negative about school. And in the father's life, his older son from a previous marriage had dropped out. So this is a hot button for him. And Mm -hmm. he has been recovering now, and he's working really hard. But when he heard his son talk so negatively and actually disrespectfully about school, he did two things. His old addict behaviors came back, and he said, um, well, just quit school then and get your butt out there and work for a living and see what it's like not to make a damn thing. Okay, that's the first thing he said, which, of course, is not what he wants his son to do. And the right. second thing he said was, um, um, I'm just so sick and tired of your expletive negativity. And he walked out of the room. Well. That was prior to our session, and truly, the partner said, after we talked about that, she actually, I then saw him later on by himself, and he said, you know what, my wife came and got me afterwards and said, do you mind if we work together on this, because you don't want him to do those things. You just told Carol you don't want him to do those things, and yet your frustration detaches you from the attachment you want to have to help our son make a difference in his life. And I thought, this is a partner who really knows how to help him through his feelings. Now, we know sex addicts typically have trouble being vulnerable. They much easier go into rage 
or guilt or shame, but they just really have trouble expressing vulnerability. And when, when a child doesn't get to see that vulnerability, they do the same thing. And I think that's what the son is doing. Um, now, let me ask you, how do you think adult children deal with this being, being the product of sex addiction, how do you think it shows up in their own intimate relationships as adults? That's such a great question. And your example is perfect because that, that kid that kind of got berated for his frustration over school, I bet he clammed up and didn't want to share anymore. And so his intimacy and vulnerability skills are stunted. They don't get, Mm -hmm. he doesn't get kind of that reparative action that that partner, like yay her for really understanding her family system and understanding the importance. If that child did not get a reparative action where dad went back and said, Hey, that was me being scared that you weren't going to follow through or, or however he approached it, that child grows up kind of guarded and not wanting to share his true feelings or thoughts. And so that performance based actions that I was talking about before that becomes much more normative. And so their intimate relationships, they just don't have the skills to support it. And so a lot of times you will see these kind of adults, children (laughs) growing into adulthood have short-term relationships or um, intimacy avoiders, we call them. They'll have some sort of problem. Um, Now, sometimes they kind of don't conceptualize it as a problem. I'm relationships are not for me. I'm happy just dating. I'm not looking for anything long term. And that's fine. Everybody's gonna have their own ideas. But I think where I differentiate problems and um, or dysfunction is when you truly want something different but you can't get there. And so for a while you might see like young adults dating a lot, not really, nothing sticks or lost partners. Um, and then kind of when they're, they're growing up a little bit more, they struggle with it and they, they want to settle down, but they're afraid because intimacy, that's a muscle. It's just like empathy. We have to grow these things. And when it's not grown early on, it makes it difficult. It's not impossible. You definitely have to work at it. It's scary. But I think overall it's just that that kind of primal fear of getting hurt in relationships and relationships not being safe or not being a safe place to come back to. And that's ultimately what we want for all of our clients is to feel safe in themselves and safe in relationships. And so I think my experience, a lot of my experience has been working with partners where they're going through their own work, dealing with their current partner, um, dealing with betrayal trauma, and 
we start to talk about the family of origin stuff, and lo and behold, dad was a sex addict, dad cheated my whole mom's life, or whatever the story is, it's kind of shocking to me how common it is and so to see these partners kind of work and see the similarities between their fathers and their current relationship partners it can be very eye-opening and so um, doing the work and understanding the family of origin is one of the most important things you can do so they recognize a lot of the partners that I work with. They recognize kind of some love addiction or love avoidance themselves. And so gender stereotyping, I mostly, and I'm, I would be curious on your um, experience with this too, Carol, is a lot of the times with the guys I see more of a love avoidance tendency. And then with the females or the daughters of uh, sex addicts, I see more of this kind of love addiction where they're craving that intimacy. They're craving something deeper and they just have to go after it constantly. Um, that's, that's what I mostly see with these adult children of sex addicts. Well, you know, I, I agree with you 100% in both regards. And certainly when you've had a family secret that you've lived in and under for a large part of the time, and you know both you and I advocate for kids that are old enough to know the secret, we want them to be able to know the secret, not all the nitty-gritty details. As a matter of fact, right. if there was one thing that I could wave a magic wand in front of partners and do, it would be to say, please be careful that you don't share the intimate details with your kids, in front of your kids, or in another room loud enough for your kids to hear because that's never healthy. Now, certainly partners worry. They worry that their sons, more their sons and daughters, their sons are going to grow up to be sex addicts. And there Mm -hmm. is some truth in that, that you live what you learn and there may even be a pre-genetic disposition to uh, that dopamine hit you can get from a variety of people. So I in females, we may see more of that love addiction because that child has never had the relationship she needs with her dad, more than likely, because an addict yes. is not available. He's not accessible. He's not attached. He may love his family dearly, but when you're an addict, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work away from the family focus. Um, What do you think? Absolutely. I think um, touching just on the little boys that grow up as addicts, I think the two components are early at, well, multiple components. I mean, there's lots of components to it, but they have a lot more opportunity for early access because it's around. Dad's looking at porn or dad has the old Playboy magazines. Um, and then the the lack of emotional attunement and emotional regulation skills. I don't think that I can stress that enough, that that is a key component to this where, 
if a little boy doesn't have the tools to deal with, let's say, not getting on a baseball team or not making a football team, if he doesn't have the tools or feel comfortable enough feeling his feelings, he's going to do everything in his power to get away from the the not-so-fun feelings or try and avoid it. And if he's predisposed, if that's already in his genetics where he's ready to go for that dopamine hit and he's exposed to porn, I mean, I don't know what the stats are right now. It feels like they're constantly changing of how early children are being exposed to porn. He's a ready-made sex addict ready to go. I mean, it's so easy and fast now for it to happen that it's so important that we are catching these things early and teaching these skills and understanding emotional attunement and understanding importance of healthy attachments because we know if there is healthy attachments, those are resiliency factors against kind of that turning on genetics. Well, you know, we just talked about do you talk with your kids, and if so, how much? And and I'm wondering, there, you know, this is an up-and-coming field, and we are really, um, we're doing the old parenting technique of trial and error of what works and what doesn't for partners and sex addicts and families. What do you think? Do you believe disclosure to adult children can be helpful, and if so, what do you think it looks like? Absolutely. So I think adult children deserve 100% to understand what their true story is. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. 100%. What is hard and what is difficult is what you were talking about earlier is this idea of how much do they need to know and the details. And so when I sit down with a family and they're talking about disclosure, I always start at the end. So I want to understand what are they trying to accomplish? What is the goal here? And sometimes you can weed out, um, I want them to hear my side of the story or I want to Um, prove that I'm not this bad guy. Like if there's ulterior motives with the parents, that's not really helpful because disclosure is at this point for children. It is for their sanity, for their mental health, and to make sense of their childhood so that they can make the corrections necessary so that we're not passing this on generation to generation. Daniel Siegel talks about understanding your story and owning your story, and so does Brené Brown. Owning your story is the most important thing because then you can learn from it. You can choose. You can make meaning, and that's what we need to give the adult children. And so where I kind of start is I start at the end. What's your point? What do you need? And oftentimes, these adult children do not want the nitty-gritty details. That is highly inappropriate and never helpful. It really isn't. And so what they're looking for is acknowledgement. Yes, I was not there. Yes, I was busy. Yes, I was lying to you. 
they are needing and wanting that relational aspect and acknowledgement of gaslighting, acknowledgement of manipulation. I wasn't there for you as much as I wanted to be. I should have been there. I wasn't able to meet you where you needed me at. And so that's what I am finding is the most healing and restorative is the relational component. The actual disclosure around acting out behaviors is little to none. I mean, I think most of the disclosures that I've done, the kids have unfortunately known what's happened just because of fighting in public or um, text messages being seen or emails being seen. I mean, it's so hard to keep things 100% a secret now, but I just, it's, I would highly recommend not sharing as much as that. But I think it's appropriate to say I have a, an addiction. I have an addiction mm-hmm. that creates all of this toxicity, and I need to take accountability for how our relationship is and how I wasn't there for you. That's all that's really needed, and that's all that's wanted. And I I would challenge any partner that is demanding more to really explore and sit with it and understand why, why they would want more disclosure, because that is, it is so hard, and I, I totally understand it, where partners want to say, hey, remember when I was depressed for two years when you were 13 years old? This is what was going on. Your father did X, Y, and Z. I see that need, but it is so not helpful um, for the kids. Like, it, it needs to be between, kind of between dad and, and kids is the primary um, function of that and res- res- restoration and healing and acknowledgement of how they should have been treated, how they should have had more attention, more attunement, and maybe things that kind of dad wishes would have been different. And so that can look like so many different ways. I've had people write it down. I've had people say it out loud. I do think it's always helpful to have at least one therapist in the loop to kind of make sure everybody's staying emotionally regulated. That's something that I do a lot is just process and, and get families ready for disclosure. But um, there's there's so many different ways to go about doing it. Not, not doing it um, in a fast way or in a reactionary way is my number one piece of advice for partners or for kids that are looking for disclosure or accountability from from their parents or from from their dad it's really that never goes well because we know that these guys need some time and so if there is maybe an adult child of a sex addict listening and that's angry and you know pissed off from what they feel like they missed out in their childhood it's something that you do need to sit with a therapist and and unpack and figure out what you need from your parents. And then furthermore, understanding are they capable of giving me what you need? I think that's one of the, the other big things that I talk about when I'm 
prepping families for disclosure is what do you want to get out of this and is that realistic for where your family's at? And sometimes it's not because a lot of times dads or addicts aren't working a solid program or they're not safe. They're not emotionally available to hear your pain or to take accountability. And that can be so heart-wrenching because it feels like another betrayal or it feels like another letdown. And so that's also where I'm seeing a lot of people being stuck um, and having to kind of reconcile their own childhood by themselves and and reparenting themselves in a way that feels good to them so that they can not pass it down to their own children. And so I think ideally we would love everybody to have a disclosure that's appropriate, that's healing, that is um, filled with acknowledgement and taking responsibility. But I think it's so hard to get there and to really kind of, I, my heart just goes out to the rest of the population where this might not be realistic and you might not ever get acknowledgement that you might still be met with gaslighting or manipulation. And I am sorry, like that is a hard place to be, but there is hope. Like people don't, you don't have to, you don't have to be stuck in the generational cycle and you don't have to have a disclosure to heal. I think that's another part where Carol, you and I would love everyone to get it, but not everyone can. And that sucks, but it, it might just be the reality. Yeah, very well said. And and so, seeing audience, how they can get a hold of you and find out about so many of your family systems-oriented projects you got going on right now. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot going on. Um, so, first of all, you can email me. It can be, I have two email addresses, jessica.idens, and it's, E-I-D-E-N-S at gmail.com or you can reach out. My new website is coming soon. Uh, it's called thetradefamilies.com and it's going to be filled with lots of free resources including um, directions on how to do disclosures on different age ranges. And so that's going to be one of the bigger features that I'll offer to clients um, is just figuring out how to tailor that disclosure process to each age group and each family type because we all know that one size does not fit all in this case at all. Um, And then another thing that I'm offering too is there is not a lot of us out there um, that specialize in child mental health, that's a CSAT and APSAT trained. And so one of the things that I've just launched is a consultation business. And so clients can reach out to me and we can have a private session where I'm really kind of evaluating and giving pointers, kind of coaching a little bit, but really helping you treatment plan of what do you need for your family? What do you need for your kids? can't tell you how many moms are out there just wondering, what do I do? How do I curb this? How do I stop this generational cycle? And so this is one of the small ways that I can kind of reach out to more people. Um, so if you're interested in that as well, you can email me at jessica at betrayedfamilies.com. And 
I will definitely be back on the show once it is up and running. I'm working hard behind the scenes, um, but it's, I'm really excited. I think it's needed, and it's going to reach a large population and hopefully fill this gap in treatment that we just don't see. We don't see a lot of resources for kids, families. Um, there's even going to be a section for kids, unfortunately, a lot of children stumble upon um, their father's porn addiction or affair partner or text messages or emails. So there will be kind of a, a little section for kids that have stumbled upon that kind of information because that is so hard and it's such a lonely place for them to be. So I'm very excited, obviously lots going on, but I will be back for sure once it's fully launched and operational. Well, I just so appreciate the fact that you are willing to do this, um, both for families and for the clinicians and coaches that listen to this show, because we're hungry to learn more about how sex addiction impacts um, family systems and also partner betrayal. Because, again, I maintain partners are innocent bystanders in this, but they are so flooded with feelings and they are so devastated that oftentimes their brain is not working in the way that it could and they don't always make the right decisions when it comes to handling their families. So, Jessica, thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing more about your project. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. Have a great one. Hey, you too. Okay, so that was Jessica Idens, and she says that obviously... Um, it is super important for you not to hide the secret and to work on ways that you can, if at all possible, encourage attachment um, between the sex addict and the child at any age. But if that's not possible, if the addict isn't ready or able, it is super important for you to know that your relationship, your child, makes a huge difference in their life. You know, we can only control what we can control. So just know that you don't want to be too close. You don't want to use them as a surrogate. But you really do want to help adult children understand sex addiction. All right, that's my take. I'm Carol Jurgensen-Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and we'll be back next week. And as I always say, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. For more information, go to org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.